All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, I'm going to let our guest, who's also our co-host, tell us why we're here. So last time we talked on this podcast, I should have set it up a little better because I gave it so wide open. Uh, la- it's all my fault. I blame um, the Russians. That's the thing to do these days. Yes. But, uh, on our last podcast back in October, we recorded an episode when you were planning on doing a Kickstarter for Solar and Prime. And Correct. that didn't happen. So, so what happened between now and then? Uh, so that way they can put the rest of the episode that we'll attach this to in context. Okay. Um, the reason that I decided to go with direct sales on the company's website, as opposed to doing a big fundraising on Kickstarter, um, is I, I'm a fan. I was, well, I'm still a fan of Kickstarter. So let me, let me preface my statements with that. Um, I found a lot of good creators out there and a lot of good stories, a lot of good comic books out there. The trend I'm seeing though, is that people are over, these creators are, they're charging $10 just for a standalone 24 page floppy comic you know and i was taking issue with it you know i am not spending 16 dollars on a comic book so i decided and, and plus there's a lot of work that goes into a kickstarter it's almost like a second job you know you're you're there every day updating and you're you're spending at least four to six hours on kickstarter at the end of your regular work day if you have a day job um you know just trying to promote it so what i decided to do with the direct sale well, technically, I guess it's a pre-order now because I'm still waiting for the books to show up. Um, was that I wanted to charge you $5 for the book and then it's a flat rate of shipping of $4. You know, so it's nine bucks because shipping's shipping prices are getting out of control. But I didn't want to have to put any extras on it to entice you to buy the book. The book should stand alone on its own merit. Um, and that's the reason why I decided to go with direct sales. I, I didn't want to have to throw in posters or keychains or t-shirts or any of these other things just to get you to read this book. You know, if you wanted to read this book, you know, the cover's really cool. I like it. It, it, um, that's the word I'm looking for. It pulled well, it sampled well. Um, everyone kind of liked it. Not kind of liked it. They did like it. They're like, Oh, that's really cool. That pops. Cause the color scheme went through a whole lot of changes as well. Like it, First, it was like all blue. It was like too much blue. And I'm like, oh, you need to throw something in there to, you know, mix up the colors. I'm like, oh, you're absolutely right. You know, blue's my favorite color. So I didn't see it at first. You know, you're always too close to the problem. So did a lot of did a lot of focus groups. Sent it, I, I've been spending months sending out to people, making revisions, changing dialogue, things like that. So, but the big reason is it, it's a comic book I think people should read. I think it's a it's an all ages book, mostly, and uh, I want the comic to either succeed or fail on its own merits. I shouldn't have to. I don't want to entice people to buy it just so they get a t shirt or a keychain or a sticker or a trading card or whatever. So, and I made the so, I made a limited run of two hundred copies. So, after those two hundred are gone, that cover that's on there right now is it'll go away. I'll, I'll replace it with something else. So is it going to be at some point in time available through Comixology or other digital platforms as well? Uh, it will be. The thing with the uh, the quickest one to get it digitally out there 
is uh, Drive Through Comics. They also do Drive Through RPG for okay. those of you that that do RPGs. They have Drive Through Comics. Um, Comicsology takes about six months to get on their platform. The problem with Comicsology is is that I'm not competing with indie creators anymore. I am creating with Marvel and DC and Image and Dark Horse and Dynamite and um, IDW. You know, so I'm I'm dealing with companies that bring in millions of dollars of revenue and print out thousands to hundreds of thousands of copies of their books. So it's real difficult to compete in that market. Um, the direct sales are pretty good. Um, crowdfunding is has always been the uh, the way to generate revenue and get your book out there, uh, either through Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I, I'm starting to lean more towards Indiegogo. Um, but yeah, like I, I want to put it out there in a digital format. If I could direct sell it on my website, as soon as I figure that out, because I'm I'm not an IT guy, I'm not a computer guy, or you know, I I went to school for graph design and I fell asleep during web design. So, <laughs> so since you wrote this in October and we talked, which is when mm -hmm. we recorded it, did yeah. you make any substantive changes to the story itself or just the sort of the art? Uh, no, the the art has zero changes to it. Um, I was going to release so this just the through, coloring changed the coloring on the cover changed and there's a lot of aliens in this. Um, it's, it's a alien focused book. You have one human being on there and that's, that's the, the protagonist. Um, so he can talk, you know, he can use his regional diction based on where he grew up. Um, but the aliens getting them to sound alien. And I took some, um, pointers from you. Um, I ran them through like several different language translators in different languages and then redid them to English. <laughs> so they would have that, um, that weird context, you know, that, that weird, uh, you know, some languages have like their, their rules of language are different. Like the verb comes first and then, you know, right. adjectives and pro and nouns and pronouns and things like that. So, and I have, there's, there's like 10, out of the many aliens that you see in the comic, there's like between five and 10 that have speaking lines. So I had to come up with 10 different speech patterns, you know, and that, okay. that, that took some work um, because the original script, I mean, the writer, he's amazing, but he, he was young when he really, when he wrote this, I think he had just turned 21 years old. So it was very, um, it coincided with someone of that age and how they say things. Right. So I had to, uh, I had to make no some golly alteration there, huh? <laughs> no, there, there was a lot of like, yo, what's this be, you know, stuff like that. Um, not to make fun of you, Trevor. I love you to death, man. You're a phenomenal writer, but, uh, no, that some changes need to be made. So it sounded alien, you know, uh, like Yoda, Yoda sounds alien, you know, so you gotta have something like that, you know? with a, a weird way of speaking or I had, I had to go back and do some research and create words, um, which is really hard to do. I think that's harder than creating a character out of thin air is creating a new word and what it means and what it pertains to. And then like each word almost has a backstory in itself. So, and that, it was fun. It was fun to do as a, as a creator, you know, kind of like stretch my writing muscles a little bit. Cause I haven't written a comic book since, Ooh, 2015, like where I actually was the writer on it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little rusty. So it, it was good to kind of like stretch those muscles out again. So what is the plan for future um, episodes, um, editions? 
issues volumes i guess issues issues yeah um depending on the success of the direct sale campaign um if it's successful we keep going if not then you know as a businessman i have to reevaluate my model which you know sometimes you just have to go back to the well and i'll go to crowdfunding again but i'd really like to get away from having to it almost feels like a bribe it's like yeah. you would have a really cool t-shirt and yeah they they really want the cool t-shirt you know and they just happen to get the book with it that book's never gonna get read it's gonna sit somewhere and they're gonna proudly wear that t-shirt wherever they go but and you can always do the t-shirts and sell them on merch too because they're yeah absolutely to, to um your merch my my wife my uh the the mistress stabby stab um <laughs> We're we're looking into getting either a screen printing or a heat transfer machine for t-shirts, coffee mugs, things like that. So we can produce our own have merchandising you, in-house. Have you oh in-house? So just say something like Teesprings or Tiavanas, companies like that exist as well. They do, and they, they take a huge cut. Do they? Okay. I haven't they used do. Them. They they take about 35%. Okay. That's you know and significant, but if they have audience that'll get you eyeballs that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Yeah, that's true. And they, they do kind of advertise it for you like you got to get enough people looking at it and then they're like then they take notice like oh we should promote this yeah but uh they, they so, don't always do that so are comics all um pre-printed and then ordered or do they do any print print on demand for paper copies okay so here, here's the thing with that too the company that um Gre greco greco printing also known as uh, comics wellspring okay um, who's printing the comic books they have a online store like a print on demand and it's not really a print on demand. It's what I do is I, I authorize 25 issues of my order to be separated and left in their warehouse. Okay. In case anybody wants to use their, their services. Um, I'm not sure if I hit that click box, but I will start doing that. Um, I have a feeling this issue is going to sell out. If it doesn't sell out online, it's definitely going to sell out um, at the uh, Fanboy Expo in Las Vegas uh, in late April. Um, so I, when you do that, uh, that public appearance, are you going to be able to share that for us on the, uh, Facebook group? So people and your, I'm obviously your own social oh, absolutely. Media, so people that want to show up and, and get a signed copy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Signatures are always free. So <laughs> all you got, it's the price of the book. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, um, so what, um, what was the hardest part of, of the final piece? Cause I know, Part of what slowed you down was was everything shutting down the the whole economy, working extra time at the border. Like, yeah. did, was that mostly what did it, or were there hiccups with the uh, with the book itself? Uh, no, it's mostly just kind of like your your run of the mill life situations that get in the way, um, and life now includes that new normal of you know economy shutdowns and things like that. So, um, so and that and then it. it but I looked at it as an opportunity to actually go in there and do some more editorial stuff. The post-production, right. a lot of people skip over. Uh, they don't send it out. I had time. I had plenty of time. Like when I was first, this was supposed to launch in like November, December, you know, um, I yeah. had some hiccups along the way, um, had some creative differences with um, like letters and things like that. I won't mention any names, but uh, you know, some people's personal, values and standards get in the way of things because they don't understand it so like the the big thing was like yeah hey, uh, you got to take these pages out because there's pornography in there i'm like are you kidding me this is an all ages book where's the pornography <laughs> you know there's a guy in a shower having a ptsd moment i mean you and i have been there 
You know, right. sometimes you're in the shower, you get to thinking, you're relaxed, boom, next thing you know, you're in the fetal position crying and you got soap on your nuts, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, so, I tastefully covered up the naughty bits and he, he refused to work on it. And I'm like, all right, well, fine. You know, and it, the I safest hands. I see how he reacts to a picture of Adam and Eve. Oh, <laughs> but we'll talk about that off air because you'll, so, you will laugh so hard because of reasons. But uh, no, this gave me a tremendous opportunity to put the book out into people that I know would um, give me the hard answers. You know, yeah. they, they would give it to me straight. Or like they said in the 60s, they would give me the straight dick. You know, they, they, <laughs> so, they tell it up. They, they tell me exactly what's wrong with it, when it need to be fixed and when to be correct. And they're, you know, they're happy to help me out. So I could put the best product out there since I had the time. I might as well use it. Yeah. So for instance, someone wants to buy the book because they, even if they don't have time to read it, they want to support you because they like what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Is there otherwise, besides just buying the product itself, is there any other ways they can support you? Do you have like, I know you said you don't do Kickstarter, but like a buy me a coffee, a Patreon, anything like that that you do? I do have a Patreon and I haven't checked in a while. I don't even, I don't, do they, do they kick you off Patreon for non-use? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I know a lot of people left when they started censoring, but you know, we don't get political here. Uh, but so no. uh, if you no, add all about the any, art. yeah. So if you add any of those sort of crowd, well, not crowdfunding, but those sort well, of my, my Patreon, people, the way it's set up, it's uh, like, it's really cheap. You know, and it was really just to kind of like entice me through money, which sounds horrible to say, but to to constantly you do. You got to feed the kids and and really what it was the money was going towards. Um, I have like one loyal patron for like five dollars a month. You know, like that that bought me a couple of pencils, you know, yeah, bought me lead, you know, because that's what it all went to is to to feed my art addiction as far as getting me supplies. So, oh, uh, no, no, there was there was more. Uh, he he calls his wife Madam Stabby because she has a thing for knives, and I'm pretty sure some whetstones were bought and um, some some sharpened knives, you know, and paint because she's a painter. <laughs> we don't judge. We don't judge. And we don't judge. Yeah. Happy. So, oh, that, um, and that's all I live for is trying to make her happy. <laughs> good answer if she's listening. Um, uh, so she's so behind me with a knife any, right now. <laughs> if you set up any future. Um, ways where people can contribute to you to keep the art going uh we mm -hmm. come back and let us know so we can we can update all the oh pages. absolutely as soon as okay. i figured that out you know like I don't, I don't know the best avenue i don't really keep my finger on the pulse like that uh the best way to support me and, and my company right now is to go in there and buy a couple of comic books um i am so, i am in direct contact uh with uh the people that host my site so i can figure out how to put digital copies on there so like when they cool. buy the digital copy it just gets they get emailed to a link and I don't have to worry about it. I think book funnel does that, but I don't know if they do comics. Cause that's a different, I mean, it should no. still be a PDF, right? Uh, it's a PDF. Um, I can convert it in cause a lot of people use comic book readers now. Okay. Um, kind of like, I didn't kinda, know that was a thing. It, it, it is, it is a thing. Um, it's a CBR file. So are it's they... individual images that are saved into a CBR file, which is nothing more than a modified zip. So and, are uh, they color readers or are they black and white when you read them on them? No, they're, they're, they're color. Cool. They're color. And, and you can zoom in on them, you know, so if you have poor eyesight, like I do, and you're reading it from a very small phone or, you know, maybe your eyesight's really bad on a tablet, you can zoom in to panel to panel. I think it, that's why it's, I love it's, it's been really cool. Zoom. Yeah. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love a, you know, a physical copy in my hand, but I'm, my eyesight's getting worse by the year and I'm not getting any younger. So even with my glasses, I'm like, 
Well, the other thing what, is your where, where is that line right there? I don't know. <laughs> the other thing is with your uh, with physical copies, if it's one you really like, you want to keep it in good condition. So that's where the digital copy lets you read it and enjoy it without ruining it. Right, and usually on the the crowd crowdfunding books that I uh, that I will you know be a I'll purchase be a patron or whatever you want to call it a backer. Um, I, I make sure that I get the physical and digital copy combo. Yeah. Speaking um, of combos, I know back in the day when I used to go to the old comic book store before they all shut down, it seems. The new old comic to... book store <laughs> was right there on Ninth and Broadway. I remember. But you used to go in and I remember they would have several issues bundled together in that shrink wrap. And it was sort of a crapshoot of, you know, at least one on the cover caught your attention and you didn't know what was in the middle. It's probably trash. Nobody wanted. Oh, yeah. The bargain bundles. Bundle. I the bargain. Those. Do you ever do that with uh, Apogee Comics where you like I do at conventions. for a discount? I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot of issues out there, you know, um, but I got, yet. I got a good six yes. that I put, I put into yet, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. I, I need a clone. I need like two clones, you know, so one can go to my day job cause I don't want to go there <laughs> and, I <can> just, <laughs> and I can just sit at home and draw comic books all day and then give it to the other Nick who's cause I, I've, I'm trained in penciling, inking, uh, color. I still hire out for because there's. I'm decent. I can kind of hold my own, but there's colorists out there that just really make the artwork pop and makes it completely stand out. Like this cover here, you know, uh, DC Alonzo, he's worked for Jesus, just about everybody that hires colorists, you know, all the way from Disney Pixar to image DC. And uh, which is funny because he's, he's DC Alonzo and he's worked for DC uh, and Marvel, you know, so he's, he's put a lot of work in there. Um, so if there's something I want to catch your eye, I will give it to him because he just, he knows that color palette. You know, he knows how to invoke emotion and, and bring that out in the artwork. You know, my, my job is to draw the dang thing, you know, and make it look cool, really fancy poses, you know? So, um, the colors would be really good, but I'd give it to the other Nick who's going to ink it. And then we'll just send it to DC after that. <laughs> so, so I need a clone of DC also. Yeah. So we, we've talked to other authors that actually write superhero books. Uh, we talked mm -hmm. to, for instance, Jeff Haskell and CeCe Akeke, uh, yeah. a, a phenomenal gentleman. And, and, and Haskell is a uh, is a former uh, army guy who worked with the Bat Boys, although he wasn't Ranger, he tells me. Um, and so I know tanker? there's uh, no, he was combo for the Ranger Battalion. Oh, okay. was, oh Haskins, I, right? Yeah. Haskell. Yeah. Haskell, Haskell, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. Um, but I yeah. know that there's a thriving group of people that read superhero fiction, like is in is in books. I was almost said proper books, but that sounds demeaning, and I didn't mean it that way. But uh, is oh, there no, any? I mean, comic books have been disposable. Well, they were disposable entertainment for years since their inception, and they still kind of uh, are. People read them and throw them away. <laughs> uh, but is there any plans of taking your universes, uh, uh, any of the many ones that you have at the Apogee sort of wheelhouse, and, and writing like? like novel style stories yes yes actually um i i there's a few characters that i think would do really well as in a novel format you know, right not graphic novel but straight up novel you know let the imagination run wild Solarum prime is one of those because of just the nature of that character i mean he is a cosmic force he travels the cosmos he has the ability to do that you know, to go to distant worlds, to, you know, I'm going to rip off Star Trek, meet strange new people, you know, go where no man has gone before, that kind of stuff, you know. So I think 
as long as the descriptions are good, the reader can just have a ball with it. You one, know, one thing I think that uh, CC Akeke and Charles uh, and Haskell did was their covers definitely look like comic books. I showed you some of them. Like it, yeah, it definitely yeah. looks at it and you know exactly what kind of story you're getting. Yeah, you know exactly so what you're I getting think, into. And I could see, I mean, the, the layout is a little off as far as a novel goes, because you, you would need like to count for the spine and purely from a um, a layout perspective. But the image, I could see that. That's not even a novel cover. That This isn't even the full image that I drew. You know, right, it, but you see, got, you see what I mean? Like with, yeah the way you space it like and i'm not an expert at that i hire that out but i know that certain formats you got to maneuver things to fit all the typography on there but i mean right. that image right. would pop on a book too that's why oh, absolutely yeah and, so, I, and that, i've done like, some comp i've done some book covers um because they they specifically wanted a comic book style just because uh the outlast series that's done by shane laster it's about a uh quasi zombie apocalypse that happens during a comic-con in san antonio oh that's awesome it's so awesome and i i just actually i just sent the uh the final cover for him um and i did the previous cover and don't tell him but it wasn't my best work i look back at it now and i kind of cringe i wish i could redo it but uh but yeah come the spine and having to like it was a lot of conversation yeah the wraparounds for like he wanted a back spine front cover image that blended into it into itself and I was like, okay, well, he wants a completely different image on the back. It was like this bus driving away with like a horde of these quasi zombies because they're not, they're not undead, you know. They're more uh, like twenty eight days later, okay, know, like, like uh, rabid virus, or, right? Uh, I forgot what they called them. Bath salt, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, ra ra rage virus, rage virus yeah. zombies. So um, he was very like, don't make them look undead. Don't make them look undead. And I'm like, oh, well, how can I do that? So I watched like. 28 days later, 28 weeks later, you know, to kind of see how they looked. And I noticed that they would have this darkened blood in their veins. Right. So like, so you get really fit people that are like really vascular, you know, and they would have like this discoloration, this dark darkness in their veins. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna roll with that, you know, and then I'll, I'll give them like really kind of like blackened raccoon eyes. And then of course, give them the, the crazy red and yellow, you know, irises and pupils and whatnot so and it was cool you know so it was real easy when i when i handed it off to the cutters i'm like okay this is how it is think 28 days later they're not undead so don't give them any green or anything like that you know they're not deteriorating they're very much alive so cool and, and so it's fun designing book covers is, is actually it, it's a fun challenge and so because i am leading my uh some friends in my first ever time as a dm for a for a swords and wizardry campaign mm -hmm. i have been frequenting um boards for for you know rpg type stuff and i know there's a oh, thriving so community of, yes there are there's a thriving community of people who like supers the game that our friend walt robillard oh my god his, i love supers his company owns is there any plans to make this a sort of an ex, almost an expansion pack of that rule set where you've got your characters so someone could play them i don't know i don't um hopefully i haven't disappointed grandpa walt so much where he <laughs> he'll still take my calls um but there <laughs> There was plans to uh, early on when I created Apogee. Um, I it I didn't want it to stop at comic books. I but that's the dream for every creator, books. right? You want you want to get all the things: the merch, the movie, the books, the comics. The well, and, and it, like I didn't get into this to make money because I just I remember a very famous line from Jack Kirby said, "Comics will break your heart, kid." And I was like, you know, and it, it just stuck with me. And I've I've had a lot of heartbreak in this business. It can't just be 
the comic books. The comic books are yeah. important. It's the source material, but it's it the needs IP to expand. That makes you money. Yeah, and yeah, I would love to make money at doing this to be a full time job where I don't have to risk my life every day. You know, uh, I I'd rather risk carpal tunnel than getting shot. You know, so <laughs> getting shot sucks. Yeah, I, it's happened to me a few times, and I don't like it. I do not recommend it. Zero out of five stars every time. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking, Walt told me once, of, speaking of RPGs and comics, and he said the way to make a little bit of money at RPGs or comics is to start with a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, I haven't hit the lotto yet, small. but I keep playing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll fall under. But it was never meant to end. The comics weren't to be the is-all, be-all. It was always meant to expand into other mediums and different ways for other people to enjoy it because I would really like – one of my favorite things is getting fan fiction. Yeah. Um about some of my characters, you know, and they take them into places that maybe I thought about and didn't explore, or maybe I never thought of it altogether, you know, and I, unfortunately I can't use it because, you know, it's unsolicited material. So uh, was any of it good? Oh, like some of it was writing. Oh, some of it was, one of them brought a tear to my eye. So why not reach out and say, Hey, I really like this fanfic. Why don't we talk about you writing a novel in this universe? Some of those are probably going to be in the works, works in the future. I'm still in contact with some of them. So um, cool. there, there's a lot of opportunities there, but I would love to see it in the supers. Um, I've, I've given Walt, I'm like, anytime you want to put them in the supers universe, it, you have my permission, you know, whatever contracts I need to sign or duration, whatever, just let me know. Um, so I don't, I, I've looked at the system. It almost would seem like you could just get a simple expansion pack that has the stats for your characters and a little bit about the world. And yeah, then, yeah. then the rule set is sort of a, a, it's a supplement to the rule set. It would seem look at me sound like I know what the hell I'm talking about. Cause I, I don't trust me. I'm new, but, but it seems hey. like it would be easy to attach it. Cause the yeah. supers rule set is already almost like custom made for, for superheroes. Hence the name. It, and it really is. And I, and I've done a lot of games with Walt on the, uh, the Banff podcast uh, back in the day um, using the supers model. And I have this supers villains handbook around here somewhere in this mess in my office, but um, no, it's a fun game. And it's, it's completely open to throwing in like an indie comic expansion pack. Yeah. You know? and, and all it does is throw the characters in. Um, I've done a few trading cards um, where it has their power sets. Right. And it has like, okay, their, their intelligence, you know, aura, things like that that all could be interchanged and reevaluated and changed um, based on the, the supers model or any RPG model that wanted to do it really. Um, like I said, like it doesn't end with the comics. I, I want it to expand into other things. The end goal is to sit in a movie theater and watch it opening night. So say we all. You know? So um, speaking of expanding into other things, I guess this is where we say, all right, I'm going to let you listen to that episode we recorded back in October. <laughs> So, uh, so you can hear what we're talking about because that was good stuff. I kept it around. Normally when we have episodes like that, that stuff doesn't work out, I just delete them because it's space on my hard drive. This right. was good enough. I'm like, nope, we're keeping it until we get that Solarian Prime out live. So, yeah. All right. And, and you were busting my 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 chops about it since, hey, it was man, fun. Solarian Prime. Was Solarian was Prime. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. No, I, I can't that. wait for everybody to see it. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. So you'll be listening to this on Friday, people. So enjoy your weekend. All right. Have a great weekend. And we're live. Welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, 
the sky is the limit and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to reintroduce you to the uh, co-host, the one, the only, the legendary ranger, Nick Garber. Uh, it's been a while since you were on the show because that old day job. So yeah. we thought we'd have you back and you could talk about your work for a change as a creator yourself. We haven't found as many uh, comic book artists as we would like. I know. It's crazy because um, – because of the circles I run with in, in the comic book world, in the indie comic book world, you know, everyone's like, hey, man, I got this project coming out. Who has a podcast? So I'll message them, and they're like, just crickets. Yeah, we've had that trouble lately. Everyone's gotten, uh, I guess, podcast fatigue or something, because we've had a lot of people, like, stand us up for episodes and not show up, and it's like, we're pimping your stuff, yo. It's fun. Yeah. Nerd out over what you, you know, your passions. But, if it, if hey, it, if they don't want to be here, we don't want them here. Exactly. If it yields, like, a... a like an extra two or three sales, I know. For me, that'd be worth it, you know, because every sale on the Kickstarter crowdfunding, you know, world counts. Absolutely. So, because it all absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, Seska couldn't be here, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the viewing and listening audience. She is still recovering from that ye old Dragon Con. She tells us she sounds like Hannah Montana, but I don't know who that is. So, we're just gonna <laughs> go with that. She does. She she has that Miley Cyrus Hannah Montana voice right now. Okay, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll let you tell us in the comment section below, dear listener. Uh, but Nick, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, my name is Nick Garber. I'm the CEO and CFO of uh, Apogee Comics. We're an independent comic book publisher. Uh, we're originated out of Texas. Now we're located in San Diego, California, where I live. So pretty much the company goes where I go. Um, I'm a Army veteran, uh, deployed a few times, and I like nerdy stuff. So we we actually figured out offline one of the many times pre or post show I don't remember that his convoy or his um, his uh, marksmanship team shall we say was providing Overwatch for one of the missions I ran. So one of the times we called fire support, it would have been him or his buddies. Yeah. Um, because it was that that sector at the right time, so I, that's kind of cool. It's a small world. Yeah, it is. Well, um, it was a small battlefield too. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So, I actually was introduced to Nick from Walt uh, Robillard. I'm uh, probably pronouncing his name wrong, but he doesn't care, so I don't care. Uh, we were looking for a new co-host when we were starting this back up. Yield uh, was a year ago, I guess, at this point, back in February. Yeah, we started talking. I and think uh, yeah. Yeah, right around February. Over a year ago, I don't know. At least it might have been December. It could have been, but yeah, well, we were starting up everything, and we were waiting for the art. And so Walt put us in charge, uh, in in touch with him, and we thought, you know, we've got, you know, the veteran angle with you, obviously, but the comic book added a new dimension of things we could talk about. So oh, sort of been a nice pairing. And uh, if it weren't for that day job, we would have done a lot more episodes. And uh, oh. him and I are going to do uh, Nick and I for you listening. We're going to start doing some review episodes of. Uh, was it Love, Death, and Monkey Robots or whatever for some oh, short yeah, episodes? Oh, wanted us to watch. Yeah, yeah we're going to do some Let review episodes. Uh, we thought about – Nick and I talked about that, and since he's um, into comics, obviously, and he's drawing because he's an artist, we thought maybe we could call it Art House Reviews, and he could draw, and you could watch what he's drawing while we talk about nerdy topics. And so he's got to uh, figure out how to get his camera situated for that, and then we're going to start rocking and rolling. That's all right, uh, ready it, to go. Uh, if you if you see any of my live feeds on YouTube, um, I got like I got a camera over the desk. I got a camera facing me, and then I run a camera because I have Mister Stabby Stab in here with me usually when I'm doing it. 
So there's like three cameras going on on StreamYard at the same time. And I just, the, the main one I have focused on the drawing table. Outstanding. So we will have to set that up. It's just at this point, a matter of the logistics are there. We just got to get him time off of work. Uh, and time zones are a thing because he's Pacific time and East Coast time means it's eight for him means it's 11 for me. So yeah, it wasn't a big deal when I was living in Texas. I was only an hour behind you guys. Yeah. So now we've got to ask you the important religion questions and we tailor these just for you. Oh, Judge Dredd, Guardians of the Galaxy or the Green Lantern? I'm going to have to go Green Lantern. Good answer. I liked all of them, but the magic ring that can do all things was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And it's through sheer will, you know, to create your constructs. It's probably one of the cooler, like, powers out there. I've seen some of the Green Lantern cartoons. I've read a few of the comic books, actually, and I watched the movie. So on a scale of zero to heresy, what did you think of the movie? Uh, it wasn't bad. It just it could have been better. Uh, I think I overhyped it for myself. And really, I'm not used to that Hal Jordan being, you know, I guess Hal Jordan back in the day before Parallax and that whole storyline. He was a uh, he was real quippy. You know, he, he was a jokester, so I know they were doing the origin story of Hal Jordan, so that made sense to have Ryan Reynolds in there, but Ryan Reynolds is, was born to play only one comic book character, and that's dead. So, Oh, not that you're biased or anything. Not that I'm biased, but, like, you know, when he became the Merc with the Mouth and started breaking the fourth wall and all that, I, in the comic books, I was like, there's only one dude that can play this guy. Okay. And, and it was Ryan Reynolds, but he did... He's been in a, Ryan Reynolds was in a lot of comic book movies. He was, uh, the hell was his name? I don't know. He was in Blade, um, Blade Trinity. And then he did uh, Green Lantern. It, I don't know. I think I expect a little bit more out of it. I expected more out of the villain. Um, I don't know. It was all right. You know, I'm looking forward to the reboot that, you know, DC's getting ready to do, so. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's, it'll probably get better. I hope. Okay. I, I think now that we're seeing what streaming can do with the episodic nature where you can take, instead of just limited by two hour window, yeah, you're getting a lot better quality. And then you go back from that where the storytelling is more in depth, uh, even if it's just a miniseries. And then you go backwards to a movie again, and you can definitely see the limitations it places on storytelling. Oh, yeah. Um, it's probably why one of my favorite superhero shows right now is the Titans on HBO max. Um, Cause it's yeah, the teen Titans uh, for those of you that are familiar with the comics, you know, it's, but they made it more adult. So it's definitely not something you want to watch with your kids. If they're little, cause there's a lot of swearing, there's a lot of violence, there's gore. Um, but it sets these characters in a very realistic real world. You know, where a lot of people complain about like, Oh, well, they, have, they have to swear all the time. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you're, you know, a former Robin, you were raised by, you know, Bruce Wayne, Batman, a guy with a scarred psyche who's just emotionally damaged all the time. You know, yeah, you're you're probably gonna use some some curt language. Okay, and because we're polytheistic, Beowulf, Excalibur, or Crawl? Excalibur. Excellent choice. I liked all of the six that we listed, so it was no there was no wrong answer here because uh, no, they're, they're all good. You know, it's just trying to. It's like, hmm. It, it, Excalibur was definitely one of my favorite movies growing up. 
Uh, I would tie Beowulf and Excalibur and then put Kroll as second because I've read some of the, the lore and the um, the origin stories and the original Beowulf, so uh, English lit degree, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I, I like those a little bit more um, than Kroll, but Kroll was good for a campy show. Yeah. It's, Product it's of fun. its times. It's fun. Uh, although they probably depleted the ozone in filming it with all the hairspray they would have been using back then. Oh, all the Aquanet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and so uh, because you're a comic book nerd at, <clears throat> at heart, Thor, Captain America, or Superman? Cap. Because yeah. he was Army. I dig it. Well, yeah, and he's he's like what every he he's what every soldier strives to be. You know that that perfect soldier, not just you know physically but like his morality his integrity you know it's like that every soldier at least that's what i think um you know that's the type of guy you're striving to be you know to be like captain america okay uh so do you think superheroes in general fall into the space of science fiction fantasy or, or somewhere I, in between they fall in both it depends on the comic book um you know i would say you know thor falls under fantasy but it can also fall under sci-fi. Captain America, that's mill sci-fi. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's one it's one of those genres, one of those mediums that you you can't just put it in like its own little box, like because it just reaches out throughout all these different types of genres. Yeah, it um, it confused the hell out of Google when I typed it in. I put sci-fi fan uh, sci-fi superhero. Uh, movie and then fantasy superhero movie. I did two side by side searches and it was all the same movies. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it just transcends in, into into each genre. So, and that's probably one of the reasons why I love comic books so much is because you can get a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see you know if you set it in ancient times where a fantasy could be more distinct, or you could set it in the future and make it very obviously one or the other. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, superheroes tend to exist in modern time. Where there's overlap of both, or if they, their origin stories will be somewhere in like the '40s, somewhere around the like the beginning of the Atomic Age is where a lot of comic books like if they want to have that long history, that Golden Age type um, backstory to them, but it's usually right around, you know, the time that we dropped the bomb, you know. Yeah. All right. So, top five superheroes. We're gonna put you on the spot. Ooh, top five superheroes. Number one, Daredevil. Um, do they have to be heroes or villains or both? Can it be either uh, we could split them up if you want, and you could do right. your top five superheroes, top five villains. Okay, so Daredevil, Moon Knight, uh, Batman. These are in no particular order except for Daredevil. Daredevil is always number one. Uh, Batman, Ghost Rider, and The Flash. Okay, and villains. Ooh, Doctor Doom. Uh, Taskmaster, um, Scarecrow from Batman. Uh, let's see here. Some other good ones out there. Why am I drawing a blank on this? Um, and then we'll just go with who else we got? Red Skull. Can't believe I almost forgot Red Skull. And uh, Typhoid Mary. Who is Typhoid Mary? She's a, uh, a villain in uh, Daredevil. Okay. She Learn something new every day. Yeah. All right. Where, where do you rank Doc Ock in all of that? Uh, Doc Ock is definitely in the top 10. 
Bruins. Yeah, he's in my top ten. Who doesn't love Doc Ock? And the Green Goblin is a good one. He was good in the Marvel with that uh, the blonde actor who played him. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. The Spider Man one. You know what I'm talking about? The Tobey Maguire one or the yeah Tobey Maguire one. That that actor did it well. Oh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. 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 He was he was a solid Green Goblin. Um. Okay. So, uh, Team Marvel or DC? Oof. I don't know. Well, right now I've been, if I do pick up a mainstream book, it's usually from DC. Um, Marvel's not, not to, you know, throw any shade, but uh, the writing quality and the art quality from Marvel right now hasn't been all that great. DC's just been knocking out of the park on both. So one day they're going to get up there with the pinnacle of the top of the comic book industry. Do you know who they'd have to beat for that? DC? Yeah, you know who DC has to beat to be number one? Me? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. After two <laughs> comments. <laughs> no, they outsell me, but because they're a major corporation. It's, it's quality, company. not quantity, my friend. It is, you know. And hopefully, the uh, my my loyal my loyal fans, all two of them. Um, Thanks, you know. mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been like two years since I've put a book out, so. But you're going to change that now. I've, I've, I've oh, seen momentum from you. 2022 is going to be uh, an interesting year, uh, not only for me, but also for the fans. Um, I'm doing all the prep work right now. So January 1, I'm hitting the ground running. Uh, the goal is to try and do a page a day, at least with the pencils. Um, and if you work the math, if I do that for a year, that's almost 16 and a half issues that I can complete within a year, at least getting the pencils done. So nice. I'm gonna split it up amongst different titles within the, the App G Comics universe. So you don't get um, stagnant. Yeah. So uh, we've got to get back on track because we we nerded out a little bit, and Doc's gonna get pissy if we don't. Oh, yeah. uh, so we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh I would have to say sci-fi. Uh, Star Wars is. Uh, had a huge impact on me. I know a lot of people that we've interviewed on the show say that, and they're not wrong. Um, for Absolutely. some of us, a little farm boy, you know, on Tatooine, pick up a lightsaber and go, you know, wreck and shop on the Empire, I was hooked. Um, but I have a love for fantasy as well. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember my first fantasy. I actually read fantasy before I found sci fi. Well, I don't know. Orson Scott Card sometimes blends a little bit of both. So I don't know if he's space fantasy or fantasy sci-fi because they kind of overlap. But he did some good stuff. I know he's not as popular these days, but... Oh, my, my introduction to fantasy was The Beastmaster. So uh, I was like, man, this movie is this, this, this is just awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. That ferrets, you know. I watch it now and it just doesn't it doesn't hold up, but when I was a little the kid first, watching that, I the just... first fantasy movie I remember was Willow. Yeah, I, that was already after I had, like, my love of comics, you know, especially like superhero movies. Um, like, I remember being four years old. My parents went to go watch like Ten Thousand BC or something like that at the drive-in. And it's uh, a good movie. I, I was in the back. It's not that old though. Uh, no, the one maybe it was a million PC. I don't know. It was whatever the Raquel Welch and like 
the seventies and shit, late seventies. So they're watching this movie, the drive-in and the, the screen behind me was playing Superman, Christopher Reeves. So they were watching their thing and I'm just like hanging out the, like through the back, uh, the rear, rear window. My mom's like old ass Chrysler and <laughs> watching Superman with no sound, but I was just like, Oh, this is awesome. So I, I Googled it real quick when you said Raquel Welsh. It was 1 million BC, but I think I'm thinking of the 10,000 BC, the one where the um, the caveman or the they're hunting the saber tooth in the beginning and they end up yeah, going yeah. to the pyramids. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. Oh. I just, there's so many movies out there that are that have BC and then have some just <laughs> random times like, oh, is it a million BC? Is it 10,000 BC? I don't know. But yeah, so, see, right. so what was your first discover the first place that you discovered spec fic speculative fiction? Was it Star Wars? Was it something before that on the television, a comic book? What, uh, where do you if, really I, I think my first discovery because my parents I, I was too young to remember. Um like it was the old George Reeves Superman TV show. Oh, I remember. Um, it was in black and white, and then I remember like later on it like the show had been off the air forever by the time I got around to it. But uh, I just remember being little and, and watching that and this guy's breaking through walls and he's flying around, you know, so I would take, you know, I do what every kid did when he discovered Superman, you know, tie a little blanket or a, a towel, you know, around your neck, and run around. <laughs> My parents said I would run around, jump off the couch, run full speed into a wall, yelling muck man because I couldn't say Superman because I was little. So that's what I was doing. So I guess that I got hooked into comic books real early on. Like I was like that impressionable age where if you want to hook them on something, that was it, you know? So luckily it wasn't anything other than that, because I don't know where my life would be if I didn't, you know, have that, that interest, you know, cause it's kind of shaped everything I've done over the years. So yeah, I could just be yeah. an accountant, not, you know, no, no offense to accounts, but I'm just like, I, I couldn't see myself doing that. Yeah. yeah. So the other part of this is, when you do enough of these, you realize every time, because your memories are kind of vague and you discover so much at once when you're that age, that oh, yeah, we yeah. could ask you this question tomorrow and you could be like, no, I definitely remember reading David Eddings and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, whatever, or Shannara, or, you know, like there's so much out there to love or, that it's know, sometimes hard to pinpoint. A, a Frank, Frank Franzetta, you know, Conan cover, you know. Oh, that was some good art. I don't know if yeah. you could get away with making that art these days. <sighs> nah, probably not. I mean, I think even the world is a little too, um, <laughs> yeah, the world has changed. It has changed. Not, not necessarily for the better. No polio is good, you know, but, uh, internet. Yeah. Polio, polio is a bitch, but you know, there's other things that were a little bit not so good nowadays, but we don't want to dwell. So what is yeah. it you love about speculative fiction, the genre? I, cause there's a, I have an answer in my head and now I'm like drawing a blank. What I really enjoy about it is that it can be anything you want. And it's as long as it's, if it, your goal should always be escapism for the reader, you know, to, to go inside these worlds that you're never going to see, you know, with your own eyes, um, you know, going to Narnia, going to Mordor, going to Asgard, you know, th those kinds of things. So what I really enjoy about that is that you can just open it up and be transported to another world and feel like you're a part of it. 
you know, and if you start with something like from the ground floor, you know, then you grow with the series also, you know, and you just feel like you have, you know, something, something vested, and especially if their characters are interesting. That's what I really love about it is that they're so over the top as far as characterization. You know, these are fantastical people doing fantastical things, you know, and you'll, next thing you know, you've read 320 pages and it's like two o'clock in the morning. You're like, oh crap, <laughs> I should probably go to sleep. You know, I just, I love how it just kind of pulls you in and makes you yeah. feel part of the story. And it's even cooler when you find stories like that when you're young and you grow up with the characters. Well, I mean, like Daredevil, Dare, Daredevil really captured me because he's blind, you know, and I had never seen a blind superhero before, never read about it, never even heard about it, you know, until I picked up Daredevil and then come to find out that he was, he was a devout Catholic. So interesting story, really cool superpower. My religion was represented, you know, and I've never really seen that. Cause it's not something really comic books really dive into. I mean, they'll use like the devil or Mephesto or things like that. They'll use like Judeo Christian, you know, characters and themes, but like specifically Catholicism. And I was like, man, that's awesome. You know, cause I felt like it, I related more to the character that way. Cause he had a lot of the, you know, what we call Catholic guilt. So <laughs> I was like, this guy suffers like I suffer. <laughs> Yep. So how did your love of speculative fiction transition into you writing stories in it via the, the form of art? Because obviously comics tell a story too. Yeah, it's a, it's sequential. It's a sequential narrative. Um, and I think it's, it's really, I think it's a little bit more difficult than, even though I'm doing it with pictures, I, I think it's difficult doing it in a comic book as opposed to a novel because you could go pages and pages of description and you know, writing for a comic book, you know, yeah, I, I can I can write a pretty good description about what's going on in these scenes, but you know, it's all up to the artist to to translate that. And then I have to do a lot in just limited captions and dialogue. You know, I don't get pages of you know narrative. So Okay. So many authors let their own real life experience influence the kind of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments for you that affect the kind of stories you like to tell? Uh, I like to have some sort of military connection because the, the majority of my adult life was in the military. Um, so I, everything in the Apogee universe has some sort of connection to the armed forces, you know, either whether it's the main character or supporting character. Um, I think okay. <laughs> so speaking of the military, obviously you mentioned that you served in the U S army, uh, <laughs> in the Ranger battalions, uh, and then, uh, doing other stuff. So how do you feel like your time in the army affects the kind of stories you tell other than just having military characters? Well, besides that, I, it gives you drive and focus and time management, you know? Um, okay. What, that's one of the things I took away from the military was being able to do the most I can with, with as little time as possible. So, cause the military, it's like, <laughs> Hey man, we got this mission. Here's your op order. You guys are rolling out in six hours. Get working, and uh, you know, so you had to do a lot with a little, very little amount of time or prep time. So you have you get really good at time management. So I'm able to schedule like okay, from this time to this time, you know, it, it makes it easier to plan my day too, and how I'm going to pump stuff out as far as like artwork. Okay, that makes sense. So do you ever draw on people you knew in the military? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Change like, your names, or is it more blatant? Uh, 
I, I slightly change them. Um, for those that are red Phantom Hawk, there's two detectives in there, uh, Downs and Gonzo. Those are both people I served with and deployed with. Downs was uh, after my buddy Fane, um, Andrew Fane, who we called Drew, and he always called himself Drew Downs. Like, you just call me Drew Downs. You know, it was like it was his email. It was like Drew Downs and the year he was born at like Hotmail and shit. So I was like, that's pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that one. And then Gonzo was our uh, a readiness NCO, you know. So he was an admin guy, but he was like, he's like six foot three, four. Kind of looks like the Rock now. He owns a gym. He's just like yoked out of his mind. So that's he ended up being um, Gonzo, you know, because that's what we call him. His last name was Gonzalez. Hey Gonzo, man. Hey man. Like my paperwork screwed up, or I didn't get paid this, you know, on the fifteenth. I'm a tribunal, you know. So I threw him in the book because he, you know, it, it's easier to use people you know to create characters um, than trying to just come up with somebody from scratch, you know, just kind of create a person out of thin air. It's it's really difficult. At least I found it difficult. But if I'm like, hey man, I need someone that's kind of a skeptic, he's serious, and he's kind of grumpy, you know, he's you know kind of jaded, you know, and then I have you know Downs, who's this like upbeat comic book nerd cop you know he's just kind of like explaining like hey man don't you read comic books because there's rules to this stuff man you know and, and gonzo's just like dude shut up why am i partnering with this guy you know so, <laughs> so have they um um stuck around and read the comics you made of them or oh yeah yeah i, I told him what i was doing when i was doing it and they're like oh man that's badass dude i'm so honored you guys sent me a copy and when i did um both of them like dude you you nailed me. You you got me dead to rights, bro. Like that's that was perfect. Like if I was in that situation, I would have done exactly what you wrote, you know, and drew. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was trying to do, man. So, uh, the most important thing is that they didn't get offended, and uh, and they really enjoy it. And they're like, hey, man, I I need a pinup with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's off. really hard to offend military people. Oh, it is, man. Because we're so thick skinned. It's like when we insult each other, and we'll. We'll do it just out of fun because we're bored of the motor pool on Monday, you know, just start ripping into each other. And then every so often somebody hits you with something, just you're like, I should be offended. I, I should be upset. I should be beating your ass. But that was really good. So I'm going to let it slide. Or, or the good ones where you're like, shit, when they're not looking, I'm going to grab my leader book and scribble that in there real quick so I can oh, repurpose yeah, I'm that. Notes. I'm going to use it for some other guy when a situation you know, presents itself. Absolutely. I was always um, appreciative of people like that who could think on their feet. Like, if you give me enough time, I could plan something. But, but the people that could do it on the fly, like I was always impressed. That that I was usually that guy, uh, very quick witted. You know, someone would say something, I would just, I'd have some sniper round coming at you from the bushes, and you're just like, I was the guy that. Have you seen that episode where Data starts laughing and he tells him, "Oh, it's because this joke," and they're like, "We told you that joke five years ago." Yeah, well, like that's yeah. me. Is that an incorrection? I don't remember. I just remember the bit with, with Data finally laughing. Yeah, he got the... Uh, the implant chip, yeah. Implant. Yeah, I think that was insurrection. Or that, that was always me. It took me forever to come up with, uh, with the reply. I could come up with a perfect singer, but it was three days later. <laughs> it's like, I got a reply, but it was, you know, it would have been more handy three years ago. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how you draw from people you knew and how that affects the stories you tell. So how does it affect the kind of stories you like to read? 
Um, dude, I'm like every other type of bro vet out there, I guess. Not that I'm, I just say bro vet, but I'm not really a bro vet. Um, you know, accuracy matters, you know, nothing will like kill something. It'll, it'll kill the joy that I'm, I was having if it's like just over the top and accurate, you know, um, I, I do give a little leeway because it's like, so what if they're wearing the wrong piece of kit for that time frame, or like the guy has his elbow up when it should be tucked in, you know, there's some things I'll let slide just cause I, I want to enjoy it, <laughs> you know, and not be that guy's like point out every inaccuracy. Cause I have friends and that do that, you know, guys I served with and we're watching a movie and it'd be like a military themed movie or based movie. And you know, they're just, Oh man, that's not accurate. You know, cause this is what, we would have done. I'm like, dude, nobody cares, man. Like, I paid my five bucks just like everybody else. Shut up. So the ones that uh, that always get me though is I do count the rounds before they do a magazine exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Have to change back. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, the type of stuff that I look forward to, uh, as far as like entertainment and speculative fiction or you no know, movies, comic books, is um, does it grab me? You know, am I interested? Do I, the big thing is, do I give a shit if this character lives or dies and what happens to him or her? You know, yeah, um, I, I find that a lot in especially in the indie comics. You know, it's a cool idea. It's just the execution was a little bit off and you just don't care about the character. I'm like, why? Why do I care? You know, why is he going after this guy on top of a building with a clock ticking? You know, like you didn't you didn't get me to the point where I give a crap. You know, and usually yeah. you have a couple of pages to do that. So fair. So uh, transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. So we know we've asked you these questions the first interview, which was like episode one or two, but uh, we've got, we've got some new audiences since then. So we're going to ask this one again, but have you got any cool fan art or had anyone cosplay your characters yet? I've got a lot of cool fan art. I wish I had some of it readily available right now. Um, everything from eight year old kids, which I don't know who's letting an eight year old read my stuff. <coughs> Excuse me, but uh, yeah, I've got a lot of cool fan art from uh, fellow artists. Um, I'm like, hey man, I love drawing your character. You know, is it cool if I draw them? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they'll send me a copy. I'm like, man, that's pretty cool, man. You nailed it. Um, yeah, yeah. No cosplays yet. I cosplayed myself, or not myself. Totally counts. I cosplayed uh, one of my characters like in 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Like I did CrossFit six months just so I could get in shape enough to pull that off for Halloween. And then after the, after it was done, I was like, all right, cool. Back to cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, I can feel that one. Uh, I'm working on going the other direction finally, but I definitely could appreciate a good cheeseburger. Oh, so has good. anyone asked for your autograph? Uh, at conventions, yeah. Totally counts at this point because yeah, no I, one's talking I, to anybody I, out in public anymore. Hey, I saw one comic book. I feel like John Grisham. So, <laughs> so have you spotted anybody reading those comic books out in public? Uh, when I was selling them in Sacramento, like the local comic book store, there it was like Empire Comics Vault. Um, I went in there one day just to because it's my LCS, so I'd go there to to pick up whatever books I was interested in getting, and they had me on the the indie creators rack. Um, because he, uh, he had like a stack of five. I think I had like two books out at the time. It was like, I, I was just starting out. And uh, you, he had like a, a reading area, almost like a library. 
you know, like chairs and stuff. So you could read the comic book. And there was this uh, 13, 14 year old kid. And he was on the sitting on the comfy chair. And I look over and yeah, it was an issue of Phantom Hawk. And I was like, oh man, it's pretty cool. What do you think of the book? He's like, man, nah. <laughs> like, it's okay. It's okay. I like it. You know, hopefully the art gets better. And I was like, ooh. Because <laughs> I did everything on that book. And the, and the first couple of issues, I did the art. And I was still learning how to do sequential art instead of just, like, pin up some posters. You know, because it's yeah. totally different. Um, you know, there's nuances to it that I wasn't familiar with. I, I've, I've learned over the last 10 years um, putting those books together. So, um but having that kid, he's like, eh, the art could be better. You know, he's like, I like the story, but the art could be better. I was like, okay. Well, I know what I got to do when I get home, besides cry. After, after you down the bourbon to, to make it through the night. You know, I go through all the stages of grief. I'm like, kid, don't know what he's talking about. No, he was at <laughs> those earlier issues. Where I'm like, oof, I need to redraw this. Pretty story. soon he's got his uh, his little hit list, but he's got the lipstick drawing circles yeah. around. <laughs> Playing some like weird 70s like uh, disco music. Yeah, you got a montage going. So what's the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started uh, I haven't writing? I have really had any weird fan interactions, but um, when, before I moved out to San Diego – I was living in Texas, so I was flying out to San Diego to find a place to live. Um, I'm sitting, I had a layover at the Houston airport, and I was like, man, I got, it was like five hours. I had like this ridiculously long layover. So, all right, well, I'm going to get some food. So I go to this place, I think it was called Big Daddy's. It was a burger joint inside the uh, the airport, and I had a bar. So I was like, all right, cool, that's how I'm going to waste some of my time. So I went over there, and the only seating they had available was like this long um, table almost like a bar. Um, so they're like, Hey, you might sit in here, you know, it's kind of family style, you know, everyone's kind of sitting together and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. If that's what you got, it's what you got. So I sit down, I get myself an old fashioned, about two old fashions deep. I had this young couple sitting next to me and uh, I rolled up my sleeve. There we go. So I got tattoos of my characters on my body. So I have Bengali right here on the inside of my forearm and I was checking my phone and enjoying my drink and, um, the guy leans over and he's like, Hey, are, are you a fan of Bengali? That's Bengali, right? And I'm like, yeah, because I didn't have this one yet. I didn't have the Cardinal tattooed on my forearm yet. So I just Bengali on my forearm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can say I'm a fan. He's like, oh man, I backed that Kickstarter like a year ago. It's so cool. It was like just 90s comic book fun. You know, it's the stuff that I wish, you know, modern comics were doing. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And he's like, but he's like, so I take it you're a fan. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I can't wait till the next issue comes out. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, so you got to be a super fan, man, because he's tattooed on your arm. I'm like, yeah, you can say that. He's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, because I'm the creator. And his eyes got real big. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm the creator. And at that point, his girlfriend or fiance or whatever had stepped off to the bathroom during this conversation. So she comes back. He's like, babe, 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 you're not going to believe this. You know that that Kickstarter that I backed? You know, Ben Dolly? She's like, yeah, that the demon looking dude. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, dude, this is the creator. This is the guy. He's like, oh man, that's cool. So we had a couple of drinks and, you know, they went to their flat and I went to mine, but it was like a really cool experience. I never thought that was ever going to happen to me as like such a, you know, at a young point in my comic book career. So I, I nice. That's cool. So uh, this is the part where we talk about Nick Garber and everything he has created. So right, Reader's Digest of your body of work, what what have you drawn? What have you created? 
Um, I try to throw in some artwork in every book that leaves, you know, Apogee's doors to the public, um, whether it's a little, whether it's the cover or the interior art. Um, what things that I have personally drawn for Apogee is uh, the Crimson Guardians from Cardinal. Um, I did the cover. I did the interior art. Um, I did the cover for the Phantom Hawk. Well, it's not really. It was like a soft reboot when uh, when we started Apogee. Uh, I wanted to like start a new story as I was like trying to finish up the old one, which is going to be released later. It's going to be called Phantom Hawk Declassified. Um, so that'll be like a little origin story. But what we did with uh, with that book is we we hint towards the previous volume, the previous series, and uh, you know, so you could just jump right into it and not have to worry about. I used to hate that as a kid reading a comic book. You know, pick one up on the spinner rack. And it's like you're kind of confused, but there's a little caption at the bottom that says, hey, if you want to know more about this, you need to check out like this other comic book and they would give you the issue number. Um, so Phantom Hawk, Crimson Guardians, which is going to, we changed the name to Crimson Paladin. Uh, so when the next issues come out, that'll all be rebranded. Uh, we have Corbin and Sparrow getting ready to come out uh, next year, The Last Pendragon. And uh, the one that's going to be coming out Later this month, either late September, I'll be doing a Kickstarter for it, or early October is uh, Solarin Prime. And that's Wait a minute, nice. back up. You said yeah. the last Pendragon, King Arthur? Uh, yeah. The, nice. the last descendant of, of uh, Arthur Pendragon, yeah. Nice, nice. So I actually wrote a um, short story for The After, which is an RPG world that uh, Walt knows the creator of. I can't remember the name, John something. Okay. And the, the RPG came out, but the kicks, uh, the anthology fell through. So I actually wrote about Pendragon Brothers surviving the apocalypse and the alien invasion and coming back. Yeah, uh, and, uh, uh, I, I, I was a huge fan. Like I said, I, I loved the movie Excalibur, and I was a big fan of uh, you know the Arthurian legend. So you'll have to have me on when that book finally comes out. We can talk about that one. But it's a fun yeah. character. He's my... He's like my Superman of the of the Apogee universe. So, so now we're gonna have to adding constantly adding to topics we can do fireside chats about. Oh, uh, King Arthur could be a fun oh, one. Oh yeah, I was a big Percival fan. Yeah, I think Gwen gets a hard a bad rap. I mean, just because he slept with her, you know, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, he was Jody before Jody was Jody. That's all Jody I'm saying. Jody's gonna Jody, bro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Arthur was out looking for the Holy Grail. I mean, of course, you know, she got What else are you going to do? You know, it gets cold in those castles. They're a bit drafty. Yeah. yeah so, uh, well, all of that obviously sounds fascinating. We'll have you back, sprinkle it out throughout the uh, the, the run of this uh, podcast. We want to talk about your other ones. And then we can see if you give different answers to your origin story questions. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, you did mention well, Solarian Prime has the Kickstarter coming up soon. So when's that coming out, the Kickstarter? Uh, uh, it'll be later on this month, like towards the last week of September, which I'm, I'm running out of time. So, okay. Um, so the, where the, did you get, go ahead. As far as like putting it together, I got to put the video together. Um, I have five pages actually colored. The book is completely drawn. Um, so if you guys are wondering where the, the money is going to go to, it's going to be to color the rest of the book and, and get it lettered and packaged and ready to go. So, um, so we will, um, when we release this, if the Kickstarter isn't live, when we release this, We'll pop back to this episode, and we will uh, add the Kickstarter link to the show notes whenever it goes live. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we will probably share whatever video you do for your Kickstarter 
here as well. Um, if you could do an audio only version, we'll share it both platforms so they know to back it. And that'll just be, you know, you pimping the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm we've got this platform. Why not? Might as well. Might as well use the heck out of it. So, um, but if you're going to do it, I, I do expect you to do the movie trailer voice as you read the uh, the, oh, the sales pitch. I've been looking at like how to utilize iMovie better on my Mac, you know, because it, it is editing software. You know, it's kind of canned stuff, but there's more you can do with it. Than, there, there's like more advanced options. So I'm playing with that. I want to do a voiceover, you know, and do it in movie theater voice. In a world. <laughs> in a far off world that is destroyed by overpopulation. So uh, we'll, we'll get back on Solarian Prime because that's what we had you on to talk about. Yeah. So where did you get the premise for this universe? Is it? How did you come up with this idea? Was it uh, psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, overindulging in expired ranger candy? Uh, a little bit of everything. Um, and then uh, I, I picked the wrong mushroom and I was transported to this far off world where obviously I was hallucinating. No. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, the idea came from like I, I like Shazam. You know, I like that character. I like that they, this boy, by saying one word, you know, turns into this like perfect human, you know, can fly and go on adventures and like that. So you have like this teenager's mind in a, you know, in a grown ass adult with superpowers, you know. So, um, so that was kind of an inspiration of, of how I got this idea. Um, I created him along with, a lot of the other characters that I'm finally getting out the door when I was like 12, 13 years old. Um, right. Um, the, the original version for him, he used to be called sunscreen. That was the original name was that it was going to be called sunscreen. They're like, why would you name a hero that I'm like, because there's a funny story behind it. And they're like, okay, what's the story? And I was like, okay, cool. So he gets his powers and he gets shot off into space, you know, and obviously he goes through the atmosphere. So it burns all of his clothes off and he like lands in like, you know, some beach in Florida naked as a jaybird coming out of the water and coming on the beach where there's all these vacationers and just some like stoner, you know, surfer dudes like, bro, sunscreen, you know, and he was kind of discombobulated. So he thought that was his name. That was good. That was what he was originally going to be called. But um, uh, as I got older and more mature and started uh, naming characters after, a, you know, some sort of, you know, goofy gag, um, I started developing it further and I came up with Slaren Prime. Um, I, I know I wanted a space hero because um, I had my Batman archetype. I had my Superman archetype. I needed a, a Green Lantern type. So I wanted something that I could, it doesn't always have to hang around in on Earth. You know, I could take it to the, take it to the cosmos if I needed to. And probably that's where the majority of the story is going to be um, is out in space. Um, so do you have any plans to novelize your, your, universes and characters and such oh i would love to 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 see that like like a novelization like outside of a graphic novel someone who's a lot more gifted at writing in the novel format than i am because um, i had zero experience in that i had to learn how to be a writer because writers are expensive um when i started this so i had to learn to become a writer but i, I don't think i'm willing to learn how to be uh you know write novels <laughs> Okay. Fair I enough. It'd, be really cool. It'd be really cool to see. And I'd probably read the hell out of it. What about um, like an RPG setting? I know uh, Supers exist, which is superhero based. So it would probably be easy to graft your own comic 
heroes into that existing universe. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've seen I've seen some real plays of of the supers, and it's it's got room for from everything from campy to gritty. So I created a character in the supers format playing with Walt, and uh, I liked that character so much that so I was like, I'm putting him into the into my comic book universe. So it's it's I would love to see my characters in a role playing game, you know. Well, I understand you know the creator. <laughs> So it might be possible just to draw the characters, give the stats, and and get it in a supplement. It's just kind of thing. I don't I don't what know what's involved in it. Walt with was creating RPG based on the Apogee universe. So yeah, that, I'm I'm always open to that 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 type of collaboration. But that guy's always busy and never sleeps. So yeah, he's busier than I am, and I'm pretty damn busy still. All right. So before we dig in, uh, can we see some of what the art for this uh, Solarian Prime looks like? Can you share it? Yeah, absolutely. There it is. Uh, oh, wait. I got to hit share and share screen. And window. Boom. All right. Add to stream. Now we can give it center. Man, that's that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it a good looking cover. It's done by uh, Sean MacArthur. He was the original interior artist. Um, things just didn't work out. He got busy doing his own thing. So, and I, at the time, I was on a timetable. Um, so I hired uh, Tony Pishana from Brazil to to do the interior work, but the cover is uh, all Sean. Now, when you say interior work, are you talking about the drawing? Because I understand that. So, working yeah. me, there's oh, the line drawing, which is basically like a color, and then it's colored in like almost like a coloring book, but not quite that simplistic. And then that's the final product. So, yeah, what part of it were you? Uh, I created the guy, <laughs> designed his suit. Um, so you draw the concept and then he told, they told the story from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the writer was, uh, Trevor Bolin and, uh, he, he wrote, we, we had a, had a couple of meetings about kind of where I wanted the story to go. Um, I, the premise, and he was a younger, younger guy too. When I was written, he was like 21, 22. So it was like real young. So when I mentioned that, the premise for the book for this issue was Cool Hand Luke in space. He had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> he was like, what cool we have here book. is a failure to communicate. Exactly. So in this issue, um, yeah, it's essentially Cool Hand Luke in space. The majority of it is him not even in his suit. He's not even in his powers. He's a human in a alien super masks, supermax penitentiary. And the rest of, you know, inhabited worlds knows about Earth, but it's kind of like they they don't look highly of us. They it's like you guys aren't even a, you know, a light speed traveling or warp speed traveling civilization. So we don't even bother with you. You know, they they look at us weak and stupid. <laughs> you know, uh, they look at us like cockroaches. You know, they're like oh, we just let them hang around on their little blue planet, leave them alone. You know, so when you have a human in there, I mean, he's just constantly getting beat up and tossed around because they, they have an inhibitor chip on him that prevents him from um, using his powers. So, Okay. All right. That's uh, that's some nice art, though. Oh, um, yeah. It turned out really great. So let's uh, move on to the story itself. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch be? Would it just be Cool Hand Luke in space? I, I don't know if you need much more than that. But, <laughs> no, the, the elevator pitch would be a uh, – 
I guess the best way to be put it is like a, a young man finding his way not only on Earth, but in the universe when he um, gets imbued with these cosmic powers. In space. Okay. Cool hand, Lucas. I, got, I really got to work on my elevator pitches. They suck. <laughs> All right. So what is it that makes Solarian Prime special? I think it's the story. Um, where where we drop you off in it because when the story starts out, he's already been Solarian Prime for a few years, like five years, because he got his powers at sixteen um, when he got smacked with an alien consciousness from the planet Solaris, um, and that's what gives him his powers. And, and he's also sharing a consciousness with this other being um, that gave him his powers. Um, so I think that's what really sets him apart because it. It's hard to create a completely original uh, character and story arc that hasn't been told before. Um, so you got to do with what you got and make it as unique to you as possible. So the idea of this kid leaving Earth at 16 years old and getting a, you know, for lack of a better term, a universal worldly education by experiencing new planets, new cultures, new peoples, um, and new dangers. Um, I think that's what sets it apart from a lot of books that are similar to that, that have that space theme, or I, I think it, it's different than what you're going to see in the pages of Green Lantern. It's different than what you're going to see in like Nova and the Nova Corps from Marvel. Um, you know, it's a really in-depth story with uh, a, a really elaborate backstory and it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just interesting. I think that's what sets it apart is just how it's set up and, and how it's, you know, portrayed. So which tropes do you feel like you use the best in uh, Solarian Prime? And do you actually put a lot of tropes in there? Are there I'm some... Not some really, other not intentional. I mean, yeah, it's it's a coming of age story. You know, it's like, uh, where do I fit in, in in the universe? Or where I fit in the world? You know, so it's a lot of man versus man in there, or man versus self. Um, I think that's probably the biggest trope, is like the, the coming of age trope. It's like these... Yeah, he's a grown man, but like he got his powers at 16 and then he left everything he knew and, and his planet <laughs> to go figure out where he fits in in the, the grand scheme of things. Okay. So do comic books tend to not have a lot of tropes like regular stories or are they? <laughs> they do. You're like, you're like Punisher is like the lone gunfighter. You know, you comic books use tropes all the time. Okay. So uh, what subgenre or genres do you feel like this story fits the best into? Did you lean more to the fantasy, the sci-fi, somewhere in the middle with paranormal? I, I, I it's going to be – you're going to – it touches a lot of them. It touches uh, definitely the sci-fi in the first issue, um, you know, being out in space, being in an alien supermax, you know, when we haven't even discovered life on other planets yet. But, you know, Sam Truman over here, a.k.a. the Solarum Prime, you know, at a very young age is – discovering all this stuff and it's blowing his mind um okay yeah they, so there's there's gonna be some paranormal later on um some almost religious i guess you know uh origins of the universe you know threats from before the big bang you know a lot of pissed off like old gods um stuff like that so it's we, we got a lot planned for it, not just Solarum Prime, but for the whole Apogee universe. But a lot of the giant Avenger-worthy type threats are going to come from this comic book. 
Okay. So I'm not a comic book guy myself, but I know there are several styles of art that are kind of iconic for, for that space. So what style of art do you use for Solarian Prime? Uh, I would say that it's, uh, it's a little John Ramada Jr. Um, not a whole lot of, you know, cross hatching, which is like more towards like Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, those guys. Um, it's a very clean art style. Um, the colorist does probably the majority of the work of, of giving it depth and tone. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the type of art. I would say it's more like John Ramada Jr. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other artists out there that his okay. was kind of like. Uh, Tony's really good. He's good at what he does, and he was cheap. Um, of course, hopefully he doesn't see this and starts charging me more. But, uh, <laughs> he was affordable, economical. He was affordable. He was affordable, and and he was fast. He was affordable, and he's fast, and he's good. Um, actually, I got some more pictures here. and bring that up. Sure. Uh, oh, lost my brain for a second. That happens. Here we go. So while you're pulling that up, um, can you tell us a little bit about the main character? Um, you said Sean. Sam Truman. Sam Truman. Yeah, Sam Truman is the is the dude. Um, actually, here's the picture of the villain. Let me bring that up. I mean, item couldn't be found it's right there. Um, I don't know if you can bring that up or not. So let me bring this screen so what can you tell us about sam truman uh he was a artsy type kid drama club like drawing lived in his own world kind of a skater you know alternative type kid uh he's a air force brat so going into those connections with the uh, you know with the military um and his dad flew spacecraft for nasa so he he gets hit really hard when his dad gets lost on a um, on a shuttle mission um presumed dead fiery fiery explosion you know type thing um what caused the, the ship to crash was when these two alien consciousness um one of them being general grexus here and the other one being proxis proxis was a princess of solaris and these people had developed a way to for space travel without actually leaving their own planet they they would get into this apparatus and they would do something called the jump where they would take their consciousness attach it to a photon or a tachyon and send it out into the cosmos and then when they would reach an inhabited world they would kind of like they would share the consciousness with the indigenous so they, they would hit they would find a person that was more suitable very suitable to be a host for them and you know take over kind of take over their bodies a little bit definitely just kind of like along for the ride um but they had to ask for permission so like you kind of go into this dream straight dream state when they hit when it hits you and you have a conversation with whoever the traveler is and you either agree or disagree to the terms of service you know or terms of use and uh and then that's how they would explore because they couldn't they couldn't get past their own atmosphere with their own technology but they were able to they had realized that you could attach it to a certain you know light beam photon or tachyon and, and that would pierce through their their dense atmosphere and go travel the cosmos 
Um, and the way it's also written is that that planet was is known within the Aperture Universe to be the first world with life after the Big Bang. So, um, nice. So they are the oldest civilization in our our known universe. So were there any? Um, well, first off, how did they pick Sam? Was it something about him, or are they just luck of the draw? He was there, right place, right time. Um, or wrong place, right time. <laughs> or wrong place, right time. You know, so um, Proxis, who's the the good alien consciousness that sit, inhabits Sam, um, she was escaping because the Solaris was dying. Um, General Grexis was—I don't want to give any spoilers—but he's the reason why that planet was on its on its way out. Um, so he was in pursuit of her, and crap that just all that cosmic momentum that that photon had that consciousness had crashed right through sam's dad's ship and you know caused it to explode so when it hit him you know she explained everything like hey i'm sorry i didn't mean to do this this is not where i was trying to end up and i didn't mean to cause you any pain or suffering but what i can offer you is you know a fantastical life you know so he took it and that was about he was about 16 when that happened and then she told him, like, well, we can't do it here. We we have to go out in space. You have to, you know, I have to show you how to use these powers I'm going to give you. Okay. So what about secondary characters? Were there any secondary characters that are memorable in this universe? Uh, there are later on, but in this first issue that's coming out, really it's the uh, the other aliens, the mainly the, the alien prison guards, because they're all kind of, you know, stereotypical you know, a-hole prison guards, you know. So they, they like beat on them. They, they allow Sam to get beat on. And um, those are, they're, they're fun. They're interesting. And, hope, and I'll, I'm sure I'm going to bring them back later on. Uh, the warden's kind of a he's, a, he's a dickhead. And that's, we wanted him to be as unlikable as possible. So at the end of that story, um, and Sam gets his powers back and you know it was payback time it's just you're, you're you're just like you've been waiting so many pages for this guy to get his so okay I think I just spoiled it I just spoiled the ending shit no you didn't you didn't so other than the general were there other bad guys for them to fight uh, there's more coming out um, uh, one of my other characters Bengali um, he'll he'll be someone that he's going to fight with um, not only the Bengali that we have on earth, but we'll start doing through flashbacks over those five, that five year gap while he was gone of why he has issues with Bengali because he's run into another Bengali out there in the cosmos. And most of those Bengalis are uh, world corruptors, um, world destroyers. You know, they, they just wreck shop on any planet that they happen to be on. So, and then there's there's definitely more species that are coming out. Um, you're gonna find that there's other survivors from Planet Solaris, you know, that have inhabited bodies, and those got those their own unique abilities as well. It's that we we have a lot planned for this. It's it's gonna be a big world that they're playing in, just for just that slice of the Apache Comics universe, and that'll branch off into the other titles as well. So will all of the um stories put out by apogee they're all in the same universe yeah they, they all exist in in the same universe all right so 
Sam meets you in a back alley and he finds out that you're the creator of this world. So you're the reason he's his dad died and he got this crazy woman in his head and all the things. Can you take him in a back alley or is he going to kick your ass? Oh, he, he wait, is he is he powered up or does he have an inhibitor chip? We'll say first with the inhibitor chip and then powered up. Okay. Uh, inhibitor chip. Yeah. He's it's going to be a good fist of cuffs. He's going to get some good shots in. Uh, without it, if he's powered up, he's going to vaporize me. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because I, so. I, I run my characters through the ringer, um, and Sam's no different. And I <laughs> would, I feel kind of a dick about this because I, I did it to him at such an early age of his life. It's like 16 years old, you know, he's like a sophomore, junior in high school, you know, he's, his, his future is wide open and then boom, I throw this crushing responsibility on him and kill his dad. <laughs> well, you could have gone full Disney and killed his mom too. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. The, no, I, I, I was getting real tired of the orphan trope, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah, no, that, was, that was my, that's, that'd be your defense. Well, like, I didn't kill your mom. Yeah, it's like, I didn't kill your mom. I left her alive. I gave her cancer. There you go. <laughs> so finally, what can you tell us about the universe? You mentioned that all of the Apogee comics are existing in the same universe. Yes. Uh, and obviously, and in all the good stories, the universe where the action happens is as much a character as the protagonist and antagonist. So what can you tell us about this universe? Um, it's it's large and expansive. And, I'm, and I think about it every day of how I can... You know, make it more interesting, expand it, villains, um, fantastical creatures, old gods, um, the the giant uh, bad guy antagonist for the Apogee universe, my Thanos, my dark side, is Zedagoth. Um, Zedagoth is this, he existed before the Big Bang, Big Bang, um, before the creation of all life uh, throughout the universe, and... When the Big Bang happened, the, well, in the comic we call it the first light, or the first. It sent him and his his acolytes into deep space, like just deep space. So this guy's got a mat on for for that for being essentially dethroned because he was the guy of that universe. Um, so he wants to destroy everything that the lights ever created. So he wants to undo existence. You know, he just doesn't want to snap out half the population for some um, altruistic ideology. No, he, he wants it gone. You know, everything that the light produced, everything you created, Earth, all these other worlds that are going to get revealed, um, he wants it all wiped out. So. so that's the one thing I never understood about Thanos. Like, overpopulation is causing people to die because there's not enough resources. I have all this power. Could I, A, create more resources, or B, just kill everyone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That never made sense to me. The, the MCU's version of Thanos, um, they tried to make it more logical by being illogical. Like in the comic books, he snapped, you know, he dusted half the, the universe because he was trying to impress the physical personification of death. That was it. Yeah, it just, I don't mind origin stories and I get in your pain, you do crazy things, but if you're doing A because of B, it, it oh, has yeah. to add up, or it doesn't. I, you know, solid, I would just make more resources, right? You know. So, all right. So you mentioned that the the obviously this isn't a one off because the universe is large, but but right. will this be the only story for Sam himself? No, no. Sam Sam's going to have a, a very long, long uh, stay in the Apogee universe. Uh, he's got stuff to do. He's 
I will give this little spoiler. He's eventually, it'll be revealed that he is the most powerful being in the universe. Nice, nice. Um, but he's he's never going to consciously use 100% of everything that he's capable of. So he's always going to be running at like 20% of what he's capable of, mainly because he doesn't know and Proxus knows that if he discovers what he's truly capable of, then he possibly could undo existence too. So Okay, so at some point in time, do you hope to expand so you can bring on more artists to speed the process up, or are you going to just keep yeah, absolutely. trying to um, these things cost money and work and all of us artists are expensive all of a sudden. <laughs> so um, I'll draw what I can. The rest I will farm out. Um, I do keep a hand in the cookie jar at all times. So I was involved in, in every aspect of the process, whether it's like if I come up with a plot and it's going to the writer, I'm constantly back and forth with the writer, uh, tweaking scripts, um, editing, like, okay, I don't really like where you're going with this or, Hey, I'm, expand on this right here because i feel this is going to be more interesting you know i think you're onto something there uh the artwork i'm like hey man can you kind of tweak that a little bit you know because that's a little bland maybe move the camera angle up or down whatever maybe take it away from the center frame um yeah but uh, i want to get more artists i want to get more writers um but they cost money so <laughs> really it all starts with what i pull out of my brain and give them like a, a two page treatment of what I'm looking for as far as the story and a little bit of how I want it to go and then get a writer and so, take the leash off of them. So every literary universe, obviously the good ones have their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So what sort of tech and magic can we expect from the Apogee universe? Oh, there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of, uh, weaponry that was, it used to be, I've seen it go through the phase of theoretical to prototype to, Hey man, everybody should have this. Um, so there's, a, there's a lot of tech in there that, cause I do a lot of reading to, you know, um, what the hell is the name of that magazine? Oh, crap. Anyway, anyway, uh, What's the name of that magazine? It's going to drive me nuts now. I'm going to wake up at like two in the morning, like, oh, this is the name. But um, yeah, I do a lot of research on things that are being developed with, no matter what phase they're in, whether they're the hypothetical phase, hey, this is what we kind of want to do, but we don't know if we have the power source or the resources to, to develop that. Um, there's stuff that's in the prototype phase that looks, it'll look cool. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot of magic but magic is nothing more than science that we don't really understand. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I wish I had a better answer. I just, I sh and I just, I just want everyone to know that this time the dog barking is not Elvis. He's sleeping peacefully right beside me. No, usually I have my headset on and that little combination keeps my fur missiles from. <laughs> so, of, of all the tech that you've invented for your universe, what would you want for daily use? Oh, the uh, the nanites that Phantom Hawk has. The, that's what I would want. And the way yeah, that they work is um, they make you, and you know, and like you can't be touched. You know, it, it cures diseases. You could lose your arm, and these nanites will stimulate stem cells in the body to recreate the bone and tissue. You know, you can't get sick. You know, you're you're invincible. 
you know, that, that's nice. all for daily use. That and the uh, the grapple gun. All right, so we'll start with the nanites, and then we'll go to the grappling gun. How would you abuse that tech if you had the nanites? I would see what screwed up ways I could injure myself. Yeah. Groundhog Day style? Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, can I get hit by a train and survive? You know? And then my biggest curiosity, and I've never tackled this in the book, is like, okay, if you sever my arm, is do the nanites know that not to grow a new person from the arm and just grow from the stump? You know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. So, so if I cut my arm off, is it going to be two nicks? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, would it start at both sides? Yeah. So, you know, I cut my arm off or, or from anything, like I lose a finger. Like, is there some sort of protocol? And I've, I haven't tackled this yet in the book. And I, I, I really think I want to do that one of these days. Like Hydra style. Yeah. It's like, okay, so, you know, I, I'm in an accident. My arm gets severed. You know, next thing you know, there's me being repaired in the car, and then I'm watching my arm grow a person out of it, you know, with the same memories and consciousness that I have. Like, that, that'd be, that's how I would abuse it in the most screwed up ways. All right. Now, what about the grappling gun? How would you abuse that? Ooh, the grappling gun. I mean, there's so many ways you could, uh, you could abuse that. And I'm going to use it for lazy shit. So it's going to be like me sitting on the couch, grapple gun, the mini fridge open gravel gun my next beer <laughs> you know just total lazy stuff that or traffic i would use it to get out of traffic too oh i could see that yeah it's like okay all right that's a good answer and I'm gone. all right so you told us that you have some alien creatures and you fantastical creatures so how do you go about creating these beings do you let your nightmares inspire you do you mimic nature uh something totally different created I, out of whole cloth how do you I'm create these uh, like animal show on TikTok. This guy does these animal reviews. And uh, lately he's been doing the stuff that's been found in like the crushing depths of the ocean. And these things are scary, you know? So I get a lot of inspiration from that. I get a lot of inspiration from uh, mythology. Mythology is a big one I like to pull from. Um, you know, the Greeks and Romans had some of the most scary freaking type monsters in their, their mythology. So, um, hell, even Christianity, the, you had the Leviathan. That thing was, you know, if you read what that thing is, it's crazy. Um, so there was a documentary a couple of years ago. This guy was a known uh, spelunker. So he's a, he was a photographer whose specialty was like diving and taking pictures. Yeah. So there was a, there was a crack in the ice on the South Pole that wasn't normally there, just shifting tides, and it opened a cave. So they said, well, let's go dive it. Uh, just as point of reference, his camera alone was worth a million dollars, and this was filmed probably early 2000s. So it was a lot of money back then. Uh, he goes diving down there, and he takes with him these um, climbing grapplings, you know, that you would latch into the mountains so you can hook your and climb. Yeah. And they were saying, oh, no, you don't need those. We ended up using them. Well, they dive to the bottom, and he's filming everything, and then a storm happened. So on the way up, the, um, he ended up using those grappling hooks to stop them from getting the bends somehow. Because I don't know not about diving, but the bends is, I guess, where you get air bubbles yeah. in the blood. Yeah, well, it's a buildup of nitrogen in the blood. Right. So they ended up being wrong. That's what saved him um, from, from getting the bends. But while he was down there where it was so cold and so so much pressure, they said nothing could live. And they didn't actually see anything alive, but they saw in the ice shells that were relatively recent. Uh -huh. Um 
because the ice had split. So anything there that had re was refreezing over was new to prove that there was some sort of mollusk that was living down there at the oh, extreme wow. depths and pressure. So like and we're, we're constantly finding new things like that at extreme places where we could investigate. A couple of years ago, the sulfur flats, they found sulfur-based life forms there. I mean, it's yeah, the, microscopic, uh, but... Yeah, the microscopic. I remember reading that. It's like... So it's, it's like, always, yeah, you know, not, room to imagine. Organism, I think is... Yeah. So it's always, it's always room. And so I've actually heard someone posit that some of what we think of is like the monsters like the Yeti or the Loch Ness Monster are just uh, ancient uh, creatures that just, for whatever reason, a few of them remained. Just I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, but the the whole Xeno um, biology angle. That when I'm creating aliens, um, I think about uh, you know what type of like we're carbon based life form. So what if it's a silicone based life form or it's a crystalline based life form? Um, and that's where I get a lot of my ideas from. And then a lot of times it's just it's just weird. Sh like it was the the beak of a of a squid that inspired me to create a whole race of aliens because of how that beak looked. It was just so menacing. Um, I was like, Oh, that was a cool, you know, like, uh, yeah, like an exoskeleton and it's going to be based off this and this is how it's going to look. And, you know, a lot of time, a lot of hours at the drawing table and it's like, Oh man, that's pretty cool. It's like, okay, is he biped? Is he quadruped? Does he have tentacles? Do they have tendrils? Do they have this? Do they have that? How do they breathe? How do they see what kind of um, light, what, what spectrum of light can they see in, you know, because what if they can't, and I have aliens that can't see in, you know, our spectrum of light. So they have attachments or they see in like IR, or, you know, heat vision or, you know, just cool stuff like that. And, and a lot of studying on, you know, just things in nature, animals and, and how they, you know, like a rattlesnake, it has like sensors and stuff like that. And it picks up heat and that's what affects its vision you know, to be such a, a deadly predator. So it's all those types of things that I, I'll reference or just straight up steal and make them aliens. So we mentioned uh, back in the beginning that this was going to be a crowd uh, crowdfunded um, yeah. project. So what kind of rewards are you expecting if people wanted to participate? Uh, the tiers are going to have your basics, you know, hey, do you want a digital copy of the book? Do you, do you want to just chip in a book and get your name in the back for helping out? Um, posters. Um, the thing I really like to do is give, I have a custom action figure made of Slam Prime. And uh, that'll be up for grabs along with uh, someone else. No, the artwork's in Brazil, so I'm not offering original artwork on this one, but I will offer, um, you know, custom sketch cards, um, custom drawings, things like that. Okay. T-shirts. I, I think I think we need some T-shirts, maybe some some swag, you know, tote bags, whatever, coffee mugs. You know. So obviously, this is all speculative because you've got to design the campaign and put it together. We're recording yeah. this in advance so we can um, have this out while you're you're marketing it. Yeah. Um, so obviously some of that may change dear listener. So um, when you listen to this, if it makes you want to go look, click on the link and all that, just know that this is early stages of his plotting all of the levels. Yeah. I'm actually talking it through with you right now as I'm writing stuff. So I'm like, Oh, that'd be a good idea. But if you look at my uh, previous campaigns, um, we, we offer a lot of cool stuff. Usually I think it's cool. Okay. So, so as this, 
No, it sounds cool. So as this interview winds down, was there anything about Solarian Prime that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, he's. I can't wait to get this guy out there to you guys um, so I can start throwing him in these other books because we're at that phase now in in our business and our company where we're going to start throwing these characters into other people's books. So in Solarian Prime can show up in Bengali or show up in Phantom Lock or show up in Crimson Guardians. Um, so we're getting to that point. So I need to get this out so you guys get a little little knowledge of the character and hopefully you like him. I, I He's really cool. He's I, I want him to be really personable and upbeat. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to um, react positively to that. This, you know, this very humble kid that's got all these just amazing cosmic powers and can do anything and he's just like he's real chill he's like a real humble guy so um yeah that's that's all i can say without giving too much away general grexus is scary as shit so <laughs> when he shows up in issue two or three he's he's a terrifying character okay well we've been at this for about an hour so uh nick can you tell listeners how they can find you and as usual all of his links will be in the show notes uh, and they are permanently linked on our um, YouTube account. So you can always go to the About Us section and, and follow them there as well. Uh, but can you tell listeners who might not have explored that yet or might be only listening on the audio how they can find you? You can find me at Nick Garber Art on Facebook and Instagram. You can find also find my work uh, at Apogee Comics on Instagram, t- Instagram Twitter. <laughs> Facebook, uh, and YouTube, um, Apogee Comics on YouTube, uh, Nick Arbor Art, I think is also my YouTube channel. I don't know. I usually stream everything through the company website anyway. Um, you can find the company, Apogee Comics, at apogeecomics.net. And uh, you can find me, if you if you want to see me do just dumb stuff on TikTok, you can find me at the Mando underscore agent on TikTok. Uh, see me dress up as Star Wars characters and do goofy stuff. Okay. And you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. That is blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Don't be a stranger. Reach out if you've got anybody you want us to interview, if you've got any topics for fireside chats. Uh, if you've got any things you want us to review, movies, etc., cetera, um, I will say that any books that you send and say, hey, we'd really like you to review this, uh, I'm just life schedule being what it is. I, I kind of need um, audiobook, and Nick Garber does too because while he's at work, he can listen, but he can't read all the time. No. Um, so, so yeah, that, if you want us to review something, just keep in mind that if it's not in, um, in audio, it, it'll be harder to do. And I know Doc listens to a lot while she's at work too. So that is right now our preferred method and when we pick what we're going to review. And we will be doing some of those in the near future. Um, we are on Facebook at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, facebook.com backslash groups black backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. And finally, you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Uh, and you can support us there if you put in the show note or in the comment section that is for the podcast. I will make sure we keep Nick Garber and Doc Seska duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Popular mechanics. 
He will drink until popular mechanic surrenders, and you know that's never happened. They've been going strong for decades. Uh, and you could support us for a one-time fee there, or as little as 99 cents, or a reoccurring. You can also support us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters and tech blades, tech and tech blades. Uh, all of it does help. It keeps the lights on. The podcast isn't free to run. Uh, between the editing software and the StreamYard's cost, we're running about 250 a year. Uh, we have reached the black for this year, so everything we get going forward for the last two and a half months, because our year resets in December, uh, will go towards covering next year. Uh, we want to thank all of our lovely backers who have made that happen, and hopefully we can keep going um, and, and keep this going, and uh, you know, the more the merrier. Uh, at some point in time, we are going to upgrade our uh, StreamYards account uh, when it's available to have more than one host. Right now, it's just me, and then they're uh, they don't get into the back end right now. We're hoping if when they offer that, we can upgrade. So that way, if life happens, Nick or Seska can jump on and still record and still have all the settings and such. But uh, but uh, I, I don't want to be the only one that has to do this. I think they've got something equally as important to offer. Um, and like I said, we're, we're working on more shows for you. So so stick, stick with us. Um, so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And because Seska is not here to interrupt, we will tell you one more time, pineapple does not belong.